0: All right, so we are, um, as I mentioned earlier, at a really monumental place in our journey as a church and an exciting place in the journey of our church. We, last Sunday was the last Sunday of the 24-month uh, period, the two-year period, that we call the first chapter of the All In Story. And so I'm going to be telling you more about that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're good. We're going to be talking about that today. So a little over two years ago, Um, we believe that God was leading our church uh, to surrender our lives all in wherever he would lead us and we talked about this being so much more than buildings and money and filling seats but it's truly about surrendering our hearts to the Lord posturing ourselves in obedience and saying God wherever you want to lead we're willing to go even if that means going to places that seem difficult or impossible we trust in you more than we trust in our circumstances lead us And so that led us to a point of saying we believe that God is calling us to build more space here at the church um, so that God can do a bigger work and more lives for the people in our community. And so that began our all-in journey. Um, We started that journey, though, in the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 1. I want to recap a little bit of that uh, with you guys. So the first three verses of Joshua, chapter 1, really set the course that we were going to take together. You guys may remember some of this, starting in verse 1. Um, again, this is, so we're at the point in Israel's story where they've been delivered from slavery in Egypt. Uh, they've, they've followed not just Moses, but the presence of God out into the desert, through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, and they made it to the banks of the Jordan River. Well, Moses was the guy leading. Well, he sent some, some, uh, some spies across to kind of survey the land and what laid in front of them, And then they ended up coming back and giving a report to Moses that really caused Moses and his entire generation to shrink back in doubt and fear. And so what God said is, well, okay, here's the deal. You and your generation will pass away and then we'll cross the Jordan. So for over 40 years, the nation of Israel kind of stood stalled out in their journey of following God there on the banks of the Jordan (laughs) River. Well, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, Moses is dead And that generation has passed away and God's calling Joshua to stand up to take the baton of leadership and lead the nation forward to finish the journey. Verse one, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. So you may remember if you've been with us since the beginning of the journey, how we talked about, um, first of all, God called, before giving really any specific instructions on how he was going to make this thing work, he called Joshua and the nation of Israel to rise and to go to posture their hearts in obedience to say you know what before we have everything figured out we know God's calling us to stand up to pack our things and to go so let's do that let's take a step of faith and a step of obedience and that launched our all-in journey but we noted in here a very specific detail about this journey how God called uh, Joshua to not only lead uh, the you know those who were faithful across the river he said the whole nation you and all these people so this wasn't a calling for Joshua and the faithful few. This was a calling for 100% of the nation of Israel to cross over in obedience. And we talked about how we desire that here at Solid Rock. That wherever God would lead us, it wouldn't be a journey of simply leadership going and the faithful few, but that we would be 100% united as God leads us on this journey of faith. We also talked about how in the same way that God tells Joshua that he that he's going to lead them into the land that he is giving to them essentially what God is saying is I'm leading you to something that you can't do for yourselves I'm giving this to you and so when we follow God in faithfulness we're not following him to achieve what we can achieve for ourselves we're following him on a journey right to receive and to achieve and to accomplish that which only he can accomplish and then he ends that verse three by reminding them of the promise that was given to Moses, that all this is rooted in God's promises. And so we, we looked at how God leads his people, especially in this particular situation, and applied it to our church and our journey. And we believe that God was calling us to rise and to go unified wherever he would lead us into a place that only he could provide, to accomplish things that only he could accomplish, all of it rooted in his promises. So before we pick this back up, and, and now in chapter three. We're going to pick up with where God gives instructions about crossing the river. And then we're going to look at chapter 4 on God's instructions after they cross the river. Before we do that, here's just a couple of things that, that I thought were interesting about this journey. So this journey takes over 40 years for them, right? So they leave Egypt. They camp out on the bank of the river. So they don't make it to the promised land for over 40 years. Now, I did some research on the distance and how long it should take them. So the distance from Egypt to the Promised Land was about 5,280 miles when you track their journey. Now, it's interesting, because that's how many feet are in a mile, which I don't think that's coincidence, and it's not a mathematical conspiracy in the scriptures. I just remember it that way. So there's 5,280 feet in a mile. It was 5,280 miles, which means then, if you put it into distances, God was calling them to travel 27,878,400 feet. Okay, now I'm going somewhere. So 27 over 27 million feet. Now, think about it. We don't measure thing in, things in feet. We measure in steps, don't we? Right, we've got our Fitbit. We've got our smartwatch that keeps track of our steps. So that's a little over 11 million steps, okay? So if you take the average goal, I don't know what your daily goal is on steps. Mine's at least 8,000. Some of you are 10,000. If you break this up into increments of like 10,000 step goals, it would take you just at three years to walk 5,280 miles, right? So this is doable in three years, and if you get after it, you can make it in less, right? So what should have taken them three years or less has taken them over 40 years, and when you look at the story, it's really the 100 to 200 feet of the Jordan River that's caused this big delay. Like a small sliver, like 200 feet, right? In the grand scheme of this journey has cost them over 40 years. Of delay. So in Joshua chapter 3, the nation of Israel is ready to go. They're ready to follow in obedience. We'll pick this up in verse 2. So Joshua's notified the nation and gathered them up, and they've, they've packed up their things and they've made it to the bank of the river and they stayed there for, for three days, camped out, waiting on their instructions on how to cross. Verse 2 of Joshua 3. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. I want to stop here, talk a little bit about the Ark of the Covenant. What does this mean? What is the Ark of the Covenant? Maybe you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and so you have some idea. This is a big, ornate box. Well... Rewinding the story, um, at the foot of Mount Sinai, God instructed the nation of Israel to craft this box out of acacia wood and, and to inlay it with gold, precious gold, setting it apart. It had four golden rings on the bottom where they would take these long timbers and slide them through, and the priests would carry this ark wherever they went. The lid of this, this Ark of the Covenant was was made out of ornate gold. It had these cherubim seated on top facing one another, and in between was the mercy seat. And all this was symbolic to the nation of Israel. Inside were special contents like the Ten Commandments, special things that that marked um, these special occasions with God and reminded the people of God's promises. But not only that, the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence, and that's why the Ark of the Covenant is leading the nation of Israel across the Jordan River and then we read in verse four, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, the ark, about 2,000 cubits in the link, which is about a half mile or 800 meters. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Now, that's really important information because see, the nation of Israel, they've been camped out here for 40 years and they've been thinking about this moment for a long time. Where are we gonna cross? I don't know, where's the easiest place to cross? Where's the shallow water? Where's the, where's the most likely place to get the nation across? And God wants to make it clear to the nation of Israel, we're not going the way you think we're going. Whatever way you think we're going, you can plan on scrapping that. I'm taking you a new way, and here's how I'm gonna lead you. With my promises and my presence out in front, follow behind, because the way we're going, you've never been before. We're going a new direction, And we're crossing a new way. We talked about at the beginning of our all-in journey how for almost everybody in the church, this was totally uncharted territory. Like we had never put together fundraisers and met with architects to plan buildings and, and replat property and all these things in front of us. We talked about it, how they were just like a bunch of question marks out in front of us on this journey. And so before God answered all those question marks, right, he called us to rise up, to go, and to begin to walk. But ultimately, it's the presence and the promise of God out front that will lead us in the direction we need to go, because for us, it has totally been uncharted territory. Now, I think one of the mistakes we could make with this moment in Israel's story, and therefore make the same mistake in our story, is to think that this moment is all about this moment, or it's all about us, because look at what God does next, starting in verse 7, as he's continuing to give instructions about crossing the river, look at verse 7, this is again Joshua 3, the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. There's God's presence. And as for you, command the priests who bear the ark of the covenant. When you come into the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And that's that's what happens. So that the, Joshua and the priests, they've got the ark of the covenant. Nation of Israel is behind about a half mile. They walk out into the Jordan River and they just stop. Okay, this is how God wants to get the nation across. But then look at what he says next, verse 9. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Now, I think that's interesting that in the midst of the instructions on how to cross the river, God's thinking beyond the river, isn't he? He's thinking about the obstacles that come next. And if we rewind in the story of the nation of Israel back to Deuteronomy chapter 7, this, we see that this isn't the first time that God takes notice of what is on the other side of the river. Listen to just one verse from Deuteronomy 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, so God is prophetically looking forward, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away among, excuse me, clears away many nations before you, the same list, the Hittites, the Gergashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But look at this last phrase, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. Now here's what we, we're, we're learning. The obstacles that we encounter when we follow God's will, either personally or as a church, are part of God's plan. The obstacles and the hardships that you encounter when you're walking faithfully and following the Lord are part of his plan. right? God didn't wait until he got to the river to look across and go, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Look at all those people over there right he knew what was across the river before he ever called them to the river you follow me so the obstacles that they encountered right this river is just a small section of the journey and really just a small obstacle in what lay ahead god isn't looking ahead and going oh man there's some people over there i didn't think this one through no god is saying listen israel you're going to have to trust me in the jordan and you're going to have to trust me beyond the jordan As difficult as the Jordan may be, it's gonna cost you 40 years. What's beyond the Jordan is even bigger because they're far more numerous and far more mighty than you are. So don't just trust me in this 200 feet of the journey if you're not gonna trust me in the rest of it. We see that the Jordan River was just one step in this impossible journey that God was leading the nation of Israel on. And God knew their challenges long before they ever faced them. Do you believe that's true for Solid Rock Church? Many of those question marks have become answers, and many of those answers have been difficulties and adjustments to time frame, cost changing, changing in processes, right? And some of those question marks have become frustrations along the way. But what God is showing us is that when his plan unfolds, the difficulties we encounter are part of his plan, not a derailment of his plan, you with me? So for example, when we get to the place we were at this time last year, uh, when we realize we're gonna have to switch engineers and start over on a bunch of this mess, and it's gonna cost us six to nine months, in my flesh, I wanna get frustrated. Anybody else? What are you talking about? We were gonna break ground, January of 19, and now you're saying it's going to be the summer, right? In that moment, I wasn't trusting that the difficulties we were encountering were actually part of God's plan. Now, in hindsight, we look back in just that one example, and we see how God has saved us tens of thousands of dollars because that delay allowed engineers to recalculate and figure out that our data was wrong, and we don't need a detention pond. But in the moment, right, it looked like the Jordan River. How are we ever going to get this thing done? God says to us once again, you're never gonna get it done because you can't get it done. I'm calling you to something that only I can do. And your best route, your best route is to stay about 800 meters behind me and follow my promises, my presence. Because I'm taking you somewhere you don't know how to go. And I'm gonna do something you don't know how to do. And we're gonna accomplish things that you can't accomplish. Now what's cool is after they cross the river, Um, They stop on the far bank, and before going any further, in chapter four, God commands them to do something very specific. He tells Joshua, hey, go um, go find a man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and send them back into the river. And send them out to the place where the ark was sitting uh, when they crossed over, because the ark was there with the priests and Joshua, and the waters were held back. The nation crossed over on dry land. And so God says, Send some guys back in there. And I want you to go out there and pick up some rocks and bring them up here on the bank, and we're going to do something with them. Okay, well, what kind of rocks? Just grab some rocks. Okay, shiny, big, small, doesn't matter. Just go grab some rocks, right? And bring them up here on the bank, and we're going to do something with these 12 stones. Look at verse 19. This is Joshua 4, verse 19. After they've crossed the river, verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal, Now, so I I picture on the side of the bank, it's a stack of stones there, okay? Um, I don't know if you've done any, like, backpacking or hiking out in the wilderness, um, but there's this kind of universal sign um, to all backpackers, and it's the stacking of stones, and usually you'll find it um, when the trail becomes a little bit um, ambiguous, and you can't quite tell, is this a deer trail, is this a hog trail, is this a people trail? And this past um, spring break, I was hiking with with my boys, and I was teaching them this. We were following a trail that kind of went in and out of the river, and we had to cross the river. And as we were making a river crossing, I stopped, and, and the bank was just grass and brush, and you couldn't really see where the trail came out. And so I said to my boys, I said, hey, guys, stop. Where's the trail at? They look around, and one of my boys said, I think it goes that way. And the other one said, no, no, no. It goes that way. And I said, hey, look around some more. You see anything odd and one of my boys says yeah I see a bunch of rocks stacked over there now there's a universal sign for backpackers when the trail becomes ambiguous you're not quite sure whoever has come before you and found the proper trail will take rocks and stack them one on top of the other and so you know rocks don't stack themselves right the wind didn't just blow them up in a stack you go oh people went that way there's the trail and so we had just a little learning moment now I say that to say we could be tempted to think that that's all God is doing. He's marking the trail. But I think what we're about to see is actually God is doing something much bigger than that. So we continue reading. Not only are they gonna stack these rocks up, look at verse 21. And he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. Didn't just cross here. This isn't just a trail crossing. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over. As the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In this moment, what God is saying through Joshua to the people of Israel is this. This is not about you. I want you to stack up stones, not so you can mark the trail so you know which way you came, so that when your children see those stones and they ask, Dad, why are those rocks stacked up there? You can say, this is the place God performed this miracle of drying up the river. And we cross this river, but not in boats, not in canoes. We didn't swim across. We cross on dry ground. God did something we couldn't do here, son. I think God was setting a trajectory of worship for the nation of Israel here. It's not just about you. It's about your children and your children's children. You know what? This all-in journey isn't about us. We get to be a part of it, but it's not about us. Listen, we're gonna be the dying generation. We're gonna pass away and we're gonna hand off the leadership of what God's doing here in this church, in this community, to our kids. Right? And are we gonna we Are going to show our kids what we did? Are we going to show our kids what God did? In the same way God is setting a trajectory of worship for the nation of Israel, I believe this all-in journey is going to set a trajectory of worship for generations to come here. If not, we've completely missed it, folks. If we stop and make this about us, we might as well have never crossed over. And the second thing I notice here is that not only that, but God positions Israel... to be a beacon of hope for the nations. Did you catch the end of that? This is not just about your children's children, but he says here at the end, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, Lord is what? Mighty. So not only was God setting a trajectory of worship for future generations, he's given Israel a global mission. It's why we have a global mission here today. Now, I want to stop for just a minute and talk very specifically about your part in the journey. I know that this hasn't been easy because God doesn't call us to easy, right? I know it's been challenging in a lot of ways for those of you who've been a part of this journey because God calls us to challenging things. He actually calls us to impossible things. He's called us to do something we can't do for ourselves. I look back at the prayer cards that you guys filled out, and we have... I don't know, a couple hundred of these that we keep in the main office and I go through them from time to time just to reflect on the things that we've been praying for. And I just wanted to read a couple of these uh, to you this morning just to remind us of what we were asking God to do in us and in our church over the last 24 months. This first one, this prayer says that God would continue to grow my husband and I together spiritually as we continue to serve together in the church. What a beautiful prayer got another one here that says, I pray that God would use my husband and I as his tool and speak through us as we go into this new community group. So I think this was a couple about to start a new community group two years ago. That our group would feel loved on, heard, and part of something that has purpose. And the prayer for the church is that as we grow, we would keep um, this intimate, close sense of family. And that we would continue investing and taking the time to be intentional on a personal level with the people in our lives. I pray that I would grow to trust in God's plans for my life and not rely on myself, uh, but to lay everything at his feet. And I pray for our church that we would continue to follow God's plan and what he has, it's underlined, in store for us. I pray that I would learn to walk without fear and obedience through faith. Man, what a powerful, simple prayer. I want to pray without fear, in obedience, through faith. I pray that God would hide myself in the shadow of the cross, and that God would give us unity as a church that we need to take this journey as one church, dash, all in. We talked at that time, you may remember remembered about the statistics of the, the people who live within two, a two-mile radius of this church, and just all the brokenness um, that exists right here in our community. This person prays that Solid Rock will tangibly pour into the statistics of brokenness in the two-mile radius, and it will be done solely through the gospel. To go into the world to share God's love by showing um, the love we have for Christ, to be humble and to submit to God's will for all to see. And then another example... Uh, to grow in boldness for Christ and to become broken um, over the lost and for our church to be about the mission of God's glory to spread light and hope and love to the lost. There's a few examples of the things you have been praying for and that you on the front end said, I want to see God move in these ways. If you guys remember uh, when we would pray about the all-in journey, most often we would refer to a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians 3, for the church in Ephesus. And he's praying some beautiful things over the church, but then he says at the end in verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. So after Paul prays these beautiful things, he said, now to him who is able to do the impossible, and then he goes on to say to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I feel like Paul's praying over the Ephesus church um, the same thing that, that Joshua was, was wanting to see in the nation of Israel that what was happening in that moment would be beyond what they could do for themselves, that God would truly do the impossible in their midst so that they would, they would know that God has moved, God has worked, God has performed the miracle here, God gets the glory here, and that it would impact the future generations for generations to come forever. Amen. Well, um, I know that the work that God does in our lives is so hard to like measure and quantify so, um, so I share statistics um, hesitantly because the numbers, right, um, are just an indication of something else. So I want to share some statistics with you um, of what's happened in our church over the last few years. And then in just a minute, I'm going to have, you, um, have an opportunity for you to hear from um, one of our own staff members who's going to talk a little bit more about the work that he's seen God do over the last two years. But here's some numbers for you. Anybody been here since 2008? Hold your hands up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Harper, were you even born in 2008? Come on now. Okay, so about six, seven of you have been here. So when I give these numbers, you're going to, like, you remember these days. So 2008, um, average attendance was like 60 people, okay? Um, And you fast forward to the beginning of All In, 2013, um, the average attendance was 323. So it have grown by five times, okay, from 2008 to 2013. Now, since we started all in, our average attendance has gone up another 50 people to 371, okay? So God's continuing to grow our church. Um, in addition to that, community groups, those of you who were back in 2008, you remember, there were about four community groups, but I think by the end of the year, there were only like two left, <laughs> if we're going to be honest, um, but today... Um, we have over seventeen community groups, and Harper and her husband DJ lead one. Right? How old were you in two thousand and eight? Like junior high? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. What, what what's also encouraging is when you look at. Um, the number of families who've participated like on a financial level, we've had 247 households giving and participating in All In. Not only that, of those 247 households, 100 of them are first-time givers. So either they were at the church before we started, and like at the beginning, All In said, you know what, I've never done this before. (laughs) This is kind of scary, but I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to begin to contribute. Or they've come on board since then and jumped into what we're doing and become a part of the journey. So over, that's 40% of the households who've given to uh, all in are first timers. Um, Baptisms, we've had 26 baptisms in 24 months, so it's just over one a month. So you guys remember maybe um, the financial goal? First of all, we want to be unified. We want to all take this journey together. Um, But second to that, we had a $1.5 million goal. Now, to put this in perspective, the year before, we had brought in around $350,000. Okay? So if you doubled that over two years, that'd be $700,000. What we were saying is that in the same duration of time, we're believing God for $1.5 million. Okay? So this is not, hey, we just need to all tighten it up and give a little bit more. This was we need God to do something miraculous here because we're young families, a lot of new believers, a lot of little kids, a lot of family stress, a lot of debt, like, right? It doesn't make sense that this is going to happen numerically. So we're actually trusting God for something that we can't do. And the goal was 1.5 million over 24 months. So last Sunday was the last Sunday in that 24-month time period. And we saw God's provision bring in $1,556,451.22. Now, can I tell you that I am more excited about that than if we would have brought in $3 million? Now think about it. If you look at the journey of Israel in the desert, God always provided exactly what they needed whether you're looking at the manna, the water, the crossing over the Jordan, every moment, step by step, they had what they needed for that moment. Like, the, when we picked that $1.5 million, we realized, like, this is impossible for us, but it represented a conviction of ours that going into this building, we want to take on minimal debt, and that we need to at least have 25% down payment before we would take that next step of the journey. And so that's where we got the $1.5 million from, and God provided $1.5 million dollars. And I am more excited about that than I would be if we brought in three million because it reveals to us God is leading us. God is out in front, guiding us with his promises, guiding us with his presence. And that should give us more confidence to step into the next part of our journey. So I'm going to invite Nick Hill to come up. He is our pastor over community and mission. Um, again, it's hard to capture. God's spiritual work in our lives through numbers and statistics. So would you come and break this down and make it more practical um, on what you've seen God do in the lives of our people over the last 24 months? Yeah.
1: So God is truly amazing. Um, when we think about being all in, like all in means that God wants all of me. Like He wants all of us. He wants our heart above all else. And what we've seen is men and women really pressing in and stepping out in faith and saying, we agree, like we want this redemption that God is doing and turning over their hearts in, in ways that I just, I've never seen before. And it's really cool because it's not people getting their lives right and getting religious or getting more prayer or more attendance. It's people coming as they are, stepping out of faith and letting God do a miracle in their life. And this is not just, this is through hard stuff too, marriage issues, addiction, and other hurts and, and shames and guilts that are happening in life. We see redemption groups have an amazing impact on our church where people are coming and laying it out, being very vulnerable, very transparent and letting God do wonderful things in their life. And it's amazing to see not just the members doing that, but people that are coming in for the first time who've only been here a week or a month, and they're seeing God's faithfulness, and they're seeing God work, and they're saying, I want to be a part of that. And you're seeing people diving in, all in. And the cool thing is, is organically, people are encouraging each other. And the testimonies of what God is doing in other people's lives are spurring other people on and it's just really neat to see God do that. And then people are going out and living the mission out of this. And, and just spreading that same truth, that same redemption. That All they're sharing is what God has done in their life. And God has been faithful to just keep populating that over and over and over again. It's just really awesome to see firsthand.
0: That's so good. And it, it really brings about a really important reminder to us all, especially as we look at the nation of Israel in their journey, God delivers them from slavery and captivity in Egypt and He brings them to the Promised Land. And we take a step back and we say, well, why did God do that? And a to an oversimplified conclusion would be, well, because slavery's not good and he wanted them to have plenty. But the bigger story is that it really had very little to do with slavery and the promised land. What God wanted to do is he wanted to recapture their hearts. That's the point of the journey. That's what he's doing at the Jordan. That's what he's gonna do at Jericho, and that's what he's doing here at Solid Rock, is he's capturing our hearts setting a trajectory of worship, giving us a global mission. So, man, thanks for sharing all that. Nick Hill. he's going to be here all day, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, I started to go out here and just grab like 12 rocks, bring in 12 rocks and kind of symbolize all of this, you know, for you guys. I brought in one rock. Um, actually, I sent my son Calvin out early this morning to find a rock. Um, and he went out and got one out of the big mud, the dirt pile slash mud pile. Um, and I thought that was a cool, like, symbolism of God's provision. We got all this free dirt out here, and we got a rock, but it was all covered in mud, so I, I, I left it outside, um, but I grabbed this one, um, and, and here's the point, right? Like, it's not about the rock. It doesn't matter where I grabbed the rock from, right? It's about what the rock symbolizes, God's faithfulness to us, and we see our story in the story of the nation of Israel, right? God's timing and even the difficulties we face they're all part of God's plan and through it all what God is doing more than building a building more than raising funds he's capturing hearts our hearts calling us to live lives all in and to set a trajectory of worship for the generations to come and he's given us this global mission to take this hope to the ends of the earth so I don't know maybe we'll do something with this rock I don't know but the point isn't the rock right The point is what God has done. I think this all-in journey will serve as a tangible reminder for us of God's faithfulness. Every time you see a t-shirt, maybe when you see the new building, or maybe you see one of these prayer cards around, or you see the all-in wall, or somebody just says all-in, I hope it will remind you of God's faithfulness. Listen, church, we didn't do this. We didn't do this. God called us to something we couldn't do. And understand this all-in journey, this crossing of the Jordan, was just one step in a journey that will have both difficulties and miraculous revealings of the power of God. And so at this moment, like, what we want to do is we want to do what God called the nation of Israel. do. We want to stop and we want to remember, we want to celebrate. Right? We want to give thankful hearts to the Lord for all that he has done, believing in all that he has yet to do. And so we want to do that now. I'm going to invite you into a time of prayer. I realize that not everybody here has been here for two years. But listen, like, I believe God's doing a work in your life. And it may be two minutes, the last two minutes that he's been doing that work. Or he may have been doing a work in your life somewhere else over the last two years. But let's stop and be a grateful people right now. Let's remember, right? Maybe you'll think about your own stones, your own tangible reminders of God's faithfulness to you. And so as I invite the worship team up, if you guys want to come up, Um, They're going to lead us in a time of worship, but let's take time to get our hearts um, prepared for this. Let's think about the goodness of God to us. And in just a moment, I will pray, and then we will sing. So take a moment right now, um, if you will, and just think about all that God has done, all that he is doing in your life. Maybe your marriage is one of those marriages that God has been working in and restoring, and maybe that's what you want to thank him for. Maybe at the beginning of the all-in journey, you didn't even know God. You weren't even a Christian, and somewhere along the way, God has saved you, and you want to express thankfulness for that. Maybe you've been wrestling with addiction and back and forth, and maybe you're sober today for the first time in a long time, and you just want to give God thanks for that. Let's stop. Let's acknowledge what he has done, Let's worship him together. Father, we thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You're the same God who led the nation of Israel, and you're leading us today. It's not hard for us, God, to see a reflection of our story in their story to see how you continue to lead your people with your promises and with your presence, God. That the difficulties we encounter as we follow Mm -hmm. your plans are actually part of your plan. God, would you grow our faith? Would you take our hearts, God, and truly lead us to become a people all in, surrendered, to go anywhere you call us to go. So Father, today we stop just to remember, to celebrate. God, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus.